Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our second gathering of the day. We're so glad you're here for Best Sunday Ever. And it's the best Sunday ever because you're here, frankly, and we're so glad you're here. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors around here at LifePoint. And we are so excited that you're here. And if you're a guest with us today, especially if this is your first time, uh, we couldn't be more happy that you're here. And it's such an honor um, to have you here. And we hope that you've been warmly welcomed and that you got a donut or some coffee. How about the donut presentation today? A little, uh, little, little different. Normally we just kind of throw on a plate and go, here you go. But today we, we took it to the next level. How never level, you know? Because when you stack them on top of each other, the one on the bottom loses all of its icing. You know what I'm saying? And so you're like double icing, you know, if you get the top one. Anyway, so we're glad you're here. Um, we are in a series uh, called Rumble Strip. And... Um, and, you know, we're talking about those little sort of raised bumps or those little lines on, alongside the road where when you run over them, they go, anybody know what I'm talking about? Those little things. You may not have known that was a rumble strip, but that's what they are. And they, and they just have this sort of one, one purpose, one mission in life, like their mission statement when they wake up in the morning to go out and do their job is to tell you, hey, you're drifting, you're, you're headed the wrong way, you're going too fast. And their job is to help you wake up, right? You're headed in a bad direction. There's danger over here. Um, and, and so what we've been saying is that um, they, help, they help with early detection because what they do is they don't put these, these rumble strips like at the edge of a cliff where like if you, you hit them, it's like too late, right? They put them over here in, in the safe zone so that you have, you have time, you have margin to sort of self Correct, and, and so what we're saying is that early detection is the best protection. And we're saying, what we've been saying is that we don't just need these alongside our roadways. We need these in life um, as well because life is difficult and challenging and there's a lot of dangerous stuff out there. And so for the purposes of our message today, rumble strips are a personal standard of behavior that become a matter of conscience, meaning that something... When we get too close to the edge, something um, it, it lights a fire in our brain. It goes, hey, danger over here. They, they are personal boundaries that we just simply do not cross. We make a, a decision that this is an area that I'm not going to go into. I'm not going to cross this area. And, and again, here, just in, in your notes, the point of a rumble strip is to light up our conscience before we hurt ourselves, before we hurt somebody else. And we just need these um, in life. And here's why. If you, if you were thinking about your own life, wouldn't you agree that most of your greatest regrets in life could have been, should have been avoided if you had had something or someone in your life to go, you don't want to do that. And somebody did, and you did it anyway, right? That's a whole other conversation, right? Um, isn't it just true that, that maybe if mom and dad had had some personal some, some rumble strips, some guardrails in their marriage that our life growing up would have been very different. That's just true, right? It's just important that we, we have these. And, and most of our greatest relational, financial, um, professional regrets are related to the fact that we did not have or somebody else did not have um, guardrails or rumble strips in this area. And, and the thing is, is that I am responsible as an adult. I'm responsible to set these up in my own life. And you're responsible. And yours may be looking, look different than mine. But we're responsible to make sure that we have them so that when I begin to drift and so that when, when I begin to get close to the edge, 
that something lights up in my conscience that goes, no, nah, man, this isn't what you want to be doing. This is not how you want to go down, down the road. So today, last week we talked about relational more, uh, rumble strips, and the first week we talked about what a rumble strip was and how they play out in your life. But today, I want to talk about moral rumble strips, and particularly in the area of of sexuality, and somebody like, oh, that's where we're going today? Yes, that's where we're going today. It's PG-8, all right, so it's all good, or maybe 12, all right. Um, um, so, so today I want to talk about these, and, 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 and th- there's a kind of an old word that will help us with this that people don't really use anymore. Um, as a matter of fact, the talk, the message today is called hi-fi, high-fidelity, and the word is fidelity. It comes from an old Latin word that means loyal and faithful. It, it, the implications are simply that you have this loyalty, this, 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 this foundational faithfulness that no matter what the temptation is, no matter what the challenge is, no matter what the opportunity is, you will stay faithful and loyal um, to this thing. Now, it's kind of a boring word, and you're like, oh, man, I thought this was going to be a fun day. It's going to be a fun day, I promise you. We're going to give you free stuff at, at, at the end of it, so that's fun. Come on, come on, again and get an amen, right? So, so as boring as the word may sound, um, it could actually change your life. It could actually save your marriage or, or save your relationships. It could make a huge difference in your future in terms of how you interact with other people, uh, in terms of how you experience intimacy and trust. Um, Now, here's the truth. Our culture does not um, celebrate personal standards of behavior, hard and fast rules. Uh, Our culture prefers painted lines at best, and especially if they're kind of grayishly painted, where "Eh, it's fine for you, but not for me. But our culture does not celebrate, does not encourage people in this area of having these sort of hard and fast barriers of of personal boundaries. But, But nowhere... Nowhere does our culture push us more to the brink, more to the edge, more to the cliff, more into the danger zone than in this area of, of morality, of fidelity, of faithfulness to a spouse or our husband or wife or our fiance or whomever it may be. But, but here's, the, here's the other part of this issue that's the trouble. We can blame this on culture, but we're part of the problem too. Um, we're part of the problem because of how we entertain ourselves. Um, we, we, we tend to entertain ourselves with music and with Christians included with music and media and Netflix and, 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 and television shows that tend to glorify sexual activity outside of the context of marriage. We tend to enjoy and celebrate and, and, and find entertaining ones that celebrate even marital infidelity. Because let's be honest, right? Rarely do... Does, does Hollywood glamorize sexuality within the context of marriage, right? Rarely do you see it like highlighted, like it's boring, it's not that exciting. It's only exciting if it's like not supposed to happen. That's just how it is. There, there's something about sexuality that is sort of on the edge or that is kind of forbidden that actually appeals to the worst in us. It's true, right? There is an allure um, to the forbidden. I'll give you a perfect example. I'm, I'm a parent, so I know this. You tell a child, and, and I would argue maybe even boy childs more, boy, boy children more. You tell a child, a small child, do not go over there, right? What is the first thing that starts to happen? 
they start easing like over there. They're keeping you in motion, but they're easing over there. Like if you had never even said anything about it, they wouldn't even have noticed it. But the moment you say, no, oh really? Okay, well, it must be awesome over there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know this is true? There's just something about us that if it's forbidden or if it's like off limits, we're like, yes to that, right? Now, there was a wise man named Solomon who wrote wisdom literature in the Bible. And he wrote this, this book called the Book of Proverbs, and it's a, it's a selection of, of just wise sayings, maxims, if you will. And he wrote these, a lot of these to his sons, various sons. And, and so he says about, he calls this woman the seductress. He, he, and it's not really a woman, it's, it's an idea more than that. And he says, here's what he says in Proverbs 9. He says, stolen water is sweet. He's talking about sexuality. Food eaten in secret is delicious. Verse 18, but little do they know that the dead are in there. Because he's talking about a woman who will try to seduce you into her house and how it'll seem amazing. It, it, it's sweet. It's, if it's in secret, it's delicious. But little do you know that there's trouble in there. There's harm in there. There's baggage in there. There's pain in there. And this is what he's trying to say that will always seem better than it actually is, especially when you know it's forbidden. But in the end, he says, it leads to pain and trouble and harm. And here's the thing, and I know that this is totally unrealistic. I know as a father, I want to say it anyway. I know as a pastor, I want to say it anyway, that I think that if we could get this one thing right in our country, in our nation, in our communities, in our cities, in our neighborhoods, if we could get this morality piece as it relates to sexuality, if we could get this right, it could change so much for the better. Because so much of the chaos that exists in, in neighborhoods and in cities and in family life is created by this sort of out-of-bounds morality. There would be less domestic violence, I would argue. Right? There, there would be fewer kids in foster care Systems. There would, there would be fewer little boys and little girls who grow up without a mom or without a dad. Matter of fact, the entire Me Too movement wouldn't even exist, wouldn't even be a thing if we could just get this area right. So, so let's talk about sexuality and morality today because it's such a misunderstood thing and somebody's like, oh, wow, I didn't know I was coming to this today. Yeah, you are. It's going to be awesome, right? Anyway. Now, if, if you were God, and thank God you're not, and thank God I'm not. Can I get a witness on that? Amen. Somebody, it, would be, like, it would be chaos everywhere if I were. Be like, get all the way, everybody out of my way on traffic and just shove them off into the ditch. <laughs> like Bruce Almighty, like, there you go. I'm going to go through without you. And everybody just falling into ditches and whatnot. Um, if you were God, and you were going to inspire to, to someone to write on this topic, which is what this Bible is, by the way, it's... It's, it's writings done by humans, but inspired by God himself, by his spirit, the Bible says. Um, and you were going to write about this. What would you, what would you inspire them to say? Th think about it as a dad for a moment, and you have kids. What would you, what would you say to your kids about this area? Right? Would you say, hey, go for it. Have a great time. Just don't even worry about anything. Whenever, however, wherever. Right? What, would you, what would you say? 2,000 years ago, a little bit less than that, but... Um, there's a guy named Paul, the apostle, is what we call him. And he was, um, he, he wrote two-thirds of our New Testament uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He was traveling around the Mediterranean basin, 
uh, Italy and Turkey and small provinces along the area there, planting little churches. And so he writes, he would, he would plant these churches, then he would write letters to many of them, um, explaining what he'd already taught them. And so he writes to this church in Corinth, and if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. We also have life point notes. When you come in, you can always grab those. If you didn't get one, you can get one on your way out. It kind of has all the stuff we talk about today. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and this is exactly what he has in mind. What would God say about this? And, and here's what he says, verse 18. And unfortunately, I've reached that situation in life where I have to take my glasses off to be able to see. Does anybody know what I'm saying? The guy's like, you need to get, bi- you need to get bifocals. And I was like, I'm 46, I don't need bifocals. He's like, well, you're going to have to take off your glasses. I'm like, oh, I won't. Well, here I am right now. <laughs> and it's like a certain parameter. Like, if I get it too close, I can't see. If I get it too far, nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you guys are all just shapes now. <laughs> I'm kind of cracked up right now because you really are just can't see. Verse 18, here's the Bible, the word of God. Come on, everybody, here we go. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. I'm going to explain all this, by the way. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received as a gift from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God. Oh, there you are. There you are. Uh, honor God with, with your body. Now I want to go verse by verse here. Verse, verse, first verse, verse 18, he says, he starts out with, flee from sexual immorality. Now, it's generally understood as wisdom that we run away from things that can harm us. Can I get a good amen on that? Like last night I was crying, I was thinking about this and I started YouTubing people running away from things that were scary and I was just dying laughing. My wife's like, what are you doing in there? It's like, it's just funny watching people run away from scary stuff, you know? Not real scary stuff, like somebody would go, rah, and they just like run as fast as they could. Like it's just, it's wisdom. Hey, if there's a volcano, we run. If there's a tornado, we run, or at least we hunker down, right? Um, we just run. Like we, my wife and I, my kids, we moved into an, an older neighborhood. It's got a lot of green spaces. And so last week we were walking around a couple different nights. And both nights um, I, I run into coral snakes, which I'm not familiar with. And so I have to do the thing. Red and yellow kills a feller. Ah, that's a coral snake. Anybody do this? I, I'm like, there's one that looks just like it, but it's red and yellow kills a feller. You know what I'm saying? Not, I don't know what the other, red and black... It's something Jack. I know, that's all I know. It's a fact, Jack. I, I don't know. So I, 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 like, like typically it's, it's wise to just run away. But because they were kind of easing up into people's yards, and I was thinking children and, and dogs and cats. Eh, not cats so much, but, you know, <laughs> dogs. Uh, so, so twice last week, I didn't flee. I flung a fist-sized rock at their cerebral cortex, and they no longer exist anymore, these two snakes. Um, but, but in general, it's just wisdom to flee from poisonous snakes. Can I get a witness, somebody, right? They can cause harm. So, so Paul says, run away from sexual immorality. Now, before you say, well, you know what, Danny, this is an old-fashioned thing. You're out of touch, man. I want you to think about it like this, to see the wisdom here. If you're married... Today, you're hoping this is exactly what your husband would do if faced with the temptation to sexual immorality. 
Yes or no? If you're, if, you're, if you're a husband, this is exactly what you hope your wife would do, is run away from it. If you have kids, and I've got girl kids, man, you're praying that God would give them the grit, the vision to run from this until they're, they're married. And that's my personal feeling for it. Now, this is what everybody who cares and lo- about somebody and loves somebody wants them to do. When it comes to sexuality, they want them to, at the very, very, very least, be very careful because you're getting too close to the edge. There's danger here. There's baggage here. There's pain here. And, and so Paul, the writer of this letter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, run away from sexual practices that are outside of the Bible. And they are outside of the boundaries of the Bible, he says, because they're for your protection. And I want to explain that because, because God's not against sex. Right? Some of you are like, dear God, why did I bring my children in here? I'm not going to say anything totally off limits. And by the way, if they're like eight or nine, you should probably already talk to them about it. I'm just saying because they've already heard more than you know in first grade or kindergarten or on your TV in your house. Just FYI. Woo! Danny didn't. I went there. Yeah. I don't have it right either. Come on, somebody. Right? He's not against it. He created it. He's not an old fuddy-duddy who doesn't want you to enjoy like he's up in heaven going Oh, dear myself, what have I done with these people? Why did I allow this, right? He, he, created, he, he created our bodies for sexual pleasure. That's, the, that's what Genesis says. And he called it very good. It wasn't created by you know, some dude named Rodolfo in the Middle Ages as a kind of torture instrument, right? It wasn't an accident. You know, God's watching Adam and Eve chasing each other through the garden, and Adam trips on a rock and trips into Eve, and he's like, dear God, what's happening right now? Not what happened. Wasn't an accident, right? What are we gonna do now? You know, it's all ruined. It's not what happened. He's not down on it. He's he's down on. Listen to me. He's down on hurt. He's down on baggage. He's down on pain. He knows that this is an emotional thing. He teaches us in the word that it's a spiritual thing. That it's not just a physical thing, as culture would maintain. That, that, that there's a real power that is at work in this area. To such that people become enslaved by images on a screen or on their phones. To the extent that, that, that it becomes so powerful in their lives that it actually becomes a, a, an idol where it replaces God. And, and, and this can be, any, anything can be an idol in, in our lives. And we think of idols as things that we bow down before. But anything can be an idol. And, and here's how you know if it's an idol. When... When you're in pain, you go to your idol. When you're in need, you go to your idol. When you're hurting, you're broken, you go to your idol. When you want to celebrate, you go to your idol. And such is the power of sexuality that can become an idol that people run to and it doesn't deliver what it promises. It's God, though, who's given us this amazing gift. And along with it, he gives us these guidelines to protect us. And that's why we're talking about this today. It's a gift. But I want you to understand this. Like anything that God creates for us to enjoy, the enemy wants to take that same thing, counterfeit it, or try to wreck it, destroy it, or distort it. That's what he does to create pain and harm and danger in your life. So verse 18, Paul just says, hey, flee from sexual immorality. And he says, all other sins a person commits are outside of their body. Meaning, and he's got all these various lists throughout Romans and Ephesians and and Galatians. There's these lists. But he says, listen, and this is what he's doing right here. 
He's putting sexual sins in a totally different category. They're other than all these other categories because he knew and God knows the damage that is caused in this particular area can cause incredible pain and and trauma to the human heart and to the human soul, particularly when people are victims in this area. Come on, you know this to be true. And so we're talking about setting up rumble strips and early warning detections around these areas. And, and listen, if you, if you fall into a trap financially, you, you can climb your way out of it. There are people who recover from bankruptcies and all kind of stuff all the time. Dave Ramsey has these posts that he posts all the time. I follow him on Instagram of people going, I, I, just, got, I just paid off $109,000 of debt in the last two years. Like I see these things, I'm like, man, that was a big, dark, deep hole, I'm sure. But now they're out. Like you can make a bad decision as it relates to your career or academically, and you can recover from that. But when it comes to sexual trauma, mistakes, and the like, it's not always the case. Can you be forgiven? Of course you can, 100%. But here's the deal. We like to say, well, with sin, they're all equal. And in terms of God's ability to forgive, absolutely right. But not in terms of the consequences of them. That we reap what we sow. And, and like if I steal a pack of gum when I was a kid, and I did quite a bit. Come on, somebody. I was a little thief, apparently. I, I, didn't, I didn't know. Was, was that wrong? Had I known that, I wouldn't have done it. I do. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Maybe I get a slap on the wrist. But there are, some, there are some reapings that we do which cause tremendous pain in our lives. Right? You can move on and you can get help and you can grow out, but, but the consequences of this affect future intimacy and trust and relationships and our ability to relate to people. Um, and, and it creates all sorts of baggage that's difficult for people to carry. And we all know this and we all know people whose lives have been irrevocably altered because somebody didn't have a guardrail in this area. So this is why the movements that are on right now to protect women are so important because, because this area, Paul says, it's different from all of the other categories. It damages people at a soul level. And Paul's insight here is incredible that, that almost 2,000 years ago, he's looking and saying, this is not unforgivable. It has nothing to do with God accepting you, God loving you. It has nothing to do with that. He says, I'm just telling you that the consequences of sin in this particular area are different than in every single other area, that the effects can follow us throughout our lives. And and even, and we've seen this, even affect generationally. Where it gets rooted in and becomes a problem generation to generation to generation. And so he goes on in verse 18, he says, all of the sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, here's the question. What does it, what does sin sexually even mean, right? With a world full of gray lines, what does that mean? Well, well, well in, in the New Testament, um, which is the part that Jesus taught, which is the part that his followers and his disciples later on went and wrote letters to, and, we, and that's sort of the second half of the Bible, um, it would define it a little differently than maybe the Old Testament would. In the Old Testament, sin was often defined in relationship to how the wrong things that we did affect the heart of God, the holiness of God, the justice of God. In the New Testament, it keeps, a little, it keeps that, right? But there's a new layer that is emphasized, a different layer that is emphasized. It was often defined by how our behaviors 
affect other people. So that when we hurt, when we, and there's three categories that we often find, when we hurt, when we steal from, or when we dishonor other people, the New Testament would call that sin. So, so let, me, let me clarify it like this. When, when, when anytime I put me before you to your detriment, the New Testament would say that's a sin. That, that any, like we're selfish by nature, a lot of us, but anytime I do, anytime I'm selfish and I harm you in the process, sin. That's how the New Testament would do that. When I hurt, when I steal from, or when I dishonor another person. And here's why this is. Because every single person that you ever have had the potential to hurt is loved incredibly by God. And, and, and as a father, I'll just say it like this, because God is our father. It, it, you cannot be okay with me if you mistreat one of my kids. Like just think about it as a, as a parent. Like, like you can compliment me and say how good looking I am or how awesome my shirt is today. Like I've seen some of y'all looking at my shirt like, what is he wearing right now? I don't know, but I kind of like it, man. Back off. Feels awesome. But, but, but if you mistreat, I don't care how well you compliment me, if you mistreat one of my girls, we're going to have a problem. Does that make sense? And, and so that anytime you steal from or you hurt or you take from another person or you disrespect or dishonor them, you have offended your heavenly father. Not, not, not because he has such a low tolerance for pain, but because he loves the person that you offended or hurt or stole from. He loves them. You've heard of the golden rule if you're a believer, and even if you're not, you've heard of the golden rule, which is treat others the way that you want to be treated. But as a Christian, we're called to an even higher standard than this. Ephesians says it like this. Husbands, love your wives as what? Christ loved the church. So what that means is that the sort of platinum rule is this, I'm to treat you the way God, through Jesus, treated me. And you are supposed to treat me as a believer. You're supposed to treat me and other people around you that the way, the way God did through Jesus treated you. So, so that when you take this extraordinary gift of sexuality that was designed by God, ideally, now there's, there's, there's ideal and there's the real, and oftentimes there's a gap between the two, but ideally for an exclusive, one-of-a-kind covenant relationship with another person, and you just start divvying it up amongst a whole bunch of other people throughout your lifetime, you not only hurt those people, you hurt yourself. When, when you take from something, um, uh, takes from someone something that was intended for, promised to, created for somebody else, you sin not only against that person, but the God who created them. And, and it doesn't have everything to do with God's low tolerance for our mistakes, because he has a huge tolerance for our mistakes. It has everything to do with the fact that God loves you and he honors you and he cherishes you and he honors, honors and cherishes and loves the person beside you, the person behind you, the person to your right or left. He loves them. And, and this is why it's such a big deal to God because the consequence of sexual sin is so different like if somebody breaks into my house and steals from me, I feel violated, but not in the way if they broke into my house and violated one of my kids. You see the difference? It's a different category altogether. He says this, he says, whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. 
In other words, when you sin sexually, not only do you steal from, hurt, or take away from another person, you actually hurt yourself in the process. You betray yourself, and you undermine, and here's the key, you undermine your own potential for future intimacy in the way that God designed it to be. Now, in other words, this is precious. It's fragile. How does he say it in the Christmas story? It's fragile. It must be Italian or something. It's, sorry, I don't know why that came up in my head. It's powerful, and you have to guard it. You have to create a guardrail around it. So he says, verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? That every single believer, um, their body is the temple of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And he says, who's in you, whom you've received from God. And here's what's happening. Paul is now shifting the conversation away from consequences. He's already done that. Like, there's some consequences. There's some pain here. You're hurting yourself. And now he's shifting it over to identity. He's trying to say, listen, here's who you are. And oh, by the way, here's whose you are. That, That it's bigger than just you make a mistake and there's some consequences. It's more than that. It's grander than that. That, that, that you're, a, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. My wife Rachel and I recently um, celebrated 20 years of wedded bliss. Can I get a good witness for that, right? And so we decided we'd never been to Europe. We went to uh, Paris and Rome. And, and while we were there, we went to um, St. Peter's Basilica, which is in the Vatican. And, and it's just a little bit bigger than this building, a little, little bit nicer. A couple tweaks we could do here. We just like that. Um, almost exactly. Um, we went to the Notre Dame, which is this humongous. We actually went to a service there just to see what that was like. And, and, and we went to some other amazing churches. We went through, well, at the Vatican, we went through the Sistine Chapel. And we went through, uh, at the top of Paris, there's this hill. And there's this incredible basilica there. And in the Sistine Chapel and this other basilica, which I can't remember the name, there were people there whose sole job in life was to shush us. Like there was a dude in the Sistine Chapel with a microphone. And he was just going like this. Shh. Shh. And then one time he was like, silence. And I was thinking, I said, that's so much louder than what we were just doing. And he was just like, I kill you. Silence. I kill you. Anybody know what I'm saying? A couple of y'all seen that puppet. Now, why were they doing this? Because to them it was sacred space. It was some of you are laughing about it still. Like, I remember that guy. Eyebrows. Right? It's, let me try to get back. It's holy ground. And this is, this is what Paul is saying. Hey, believer, you're, you're, you're a temple, but you're not just a temple to some, some idol or some foreign god. You're, you're, you're housing the, the very spirit of God himself. You, you are created in the image of God, the Bible says. So you are a you're an image bearer of God himself. You, you, you're not just another mammal, right? You, you, you didn't just happen. You were designed. You were, you were fine-tuned for intimacy with God and with one other person, ideally, right? And he says, verse 19, you are not your own, and you were, you were bought with a price, that God's spirit resides in you. Now, that matters for a whole lot of reasons, but one of the reasons that that matters is because the value of a container is determined by what it contains. For, for instance, I've got a wallet, and um, I like it. 
Um, and I lose it frequently. Come on, I got ADD like you can't believe. Some of you have been around me, you know, right? And I panic, and I don't panic because of the wallet, because it was like 30 bucks, and I tear them up all the time. I panic by what? What's in that wallet? Especially now, because somebody's going to buy a car with my wallet now, and they're going to set up a, a trust, a charitable trust for their children with my social security, right? Come on, you know how this rolls. But, like, I personally don't drink, um, but I go to nice restaurants. Like, I love to eat nice restaurants. Like, I don't know how you guys roll, but, like, like part of my, 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 my the, how I roll is that I'm not going to eat, I don't eat McDonald's. I don't go to Taco Bell. I know some of you have kids that have to go there, but I don't, I don't do it. I'm, I'm, I figure you only have so many meals to eat in life, you can't be wasting some of them. Come on, somebody. You can't be wasting it on that. Now, some of your kids are in here, you're like, man, you just jacked it up. That's where I was going today. But I'll go up in there, man. And I don't, drink I don't drink wine, but they'll have sometimes, and there's this one restaurant that I'm thinking about right now that they have the price of the bottles. They have them listed right there, and one will be 20 bucks. And then the one right next to it is $200. And you keep going, and there's one. That's $400. Like, they look the same. And if I drank it, they would all do the same thing to me because I ain't never had any. <laughs> you know, just laying around, one little sip, sniffing, I'm down. I'm down for the count. Man, it's drunk right now, just sniffing it. It ain't the bottle, though. It's what's inside the bottle and the price it took to make that and the length of time it took to create that, that, the value, that determines the value. I'll tell you another way that you can determine a value of something is that um, when, when you realize the price that somebody's willing to pay for something, that, that kind of lets us know the, the, the value. Now, now, this metaphor breaks down because you're valuable all by yourself, regardless. But what Paul is saying is is you're even more valuable because the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. And, and, and here's the thing, here's the thing about this. Like if you had access to the Sistine Chapel or St. Peter's Basilica and there was nobody around, it was just you, we wouldn't do inside of those sacred spaces what we'll do inside of this sacred space. We would never do, we would never participate in the things that we participate. We never watch the stuff we would watch in there. Why? Sacred space. And Paul is saying, so are you. You are sacred space. And you can tell the value of, of a thing by what, the price that it will bring. And, and, and what, what Paul is saying here is that the essence of the gospel is that when God sent his son in the world to die on a cross, to pay the price for your sins, that that shows you how valuable you are to God. That's how valuable you are. I love you so much that I'll come and die on a cross for you. So he says, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. And that's what he's referencing, the cross. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Therefore, he says, in light of the selfishness of sexual sin, in light of your extraordinary value, in, in light of the fact that you're fine-tuned um, for intimacy, in light of all that, he says, here's the application. Of all of those verses, here's the application. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is the New Testament sexual ethic. Honor God with the sacred space that is your body. So, flee, run away from immorality. Create rumble strips. Create 
boundaries of personal behavior that you do not cross. So just as I wrap this up, I want to give you maybe a couple things to think about in terms of the practical application of this. How do I do that? What should I do? What should I be doing right now if I'm married or if I'm single or if I'm a student? What should I be doing if, I'm, if I want to get married someday? Or what, like, what should that look like? And, and some of you are already irritated, like, oh, this is irritating, man. Just move on. It's old-fashioned. No, no, no. This might save you. And if not, maybe you listen to this for your future kids' sake. Come on, somebody, right? So no, number one, have a conversation about this. If you're married, if you're engaged, or if you're in a serious relationship, you should have a conversation about your significant other's uh, relationships to other men or women, right? Like, you should decide together what's appropriate. Like, what, what, what's out of bounds? See, here's the thing. A lot of us don't have conversations around this. We just assume that our husband or our wife or whomever is going to be, have the same thought processes around this stuff as we do, but that's a mistake, that's why so many mistakes get made. Have a conversation. We decide together. This is what we think is good. This is what we think is not good. Like, like what's appropriate behavior um, with, with people at the office? Right? What's appropriate as it relates to your social media? The pictures you post. Like, I, I keep seeing married people. I'm like, are you sure you're married? <laughs> Feels like you're trolling right now. <laughs> Dudes, I'm like, brah. Put a shirt on, man. It's all, we don't all need to see that. I know you worked hard for that, but it's, it's good. You just keep that. Your wife wants to see that. Everybody else don't need to see that. I know. I just jacked with about half of you right in the room today, right? <laughs> like, 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 what's appropriate when it comes to traveling um, for work stuff or eating alone with somebody who could potentially become problematic around you? Like, m- maybe your spouse is concerned about a coworker or your, your fiance or boyfriend or your girlfriend or somebody, and, and they're like, man, I think that, that guy is trouble, or I think that girl's trouble, and probably you already know that, but if you don't you know who you should worry about, ask your spouse. And I'll just say this about women in general. Like, God gave you something that didn't give us, man. Dudes, we don't have discernment like you guys do. We just don't have it. Like, we're just oblivious. But like my mom, I used to call her discerno woman, right? <laughs> Like, it'd be like, don't you come in after 12, and then it'd be like 12.03, and I'd be just kind of quietly sneaking in in the dark, and then she'd be like, where you been, Daniel? Ah! <laughs> right? And the thing is, is she already knew where I had been. And I'm like, she got like a spy thing on me right now? I know where you've been, Daniel. I know what you've been doing. What? How? Scary. Moms are scary. Come on, somebody. You let God's spirit get up on them, bro, they can tell you what you've been thinking about last week. <laughs> Serious. If you don't know, fellas, fellas, go ask. They'll tell you. I don't know if I like that person over there. I'm not sure that that, I think you need to pay attention to that. You need to decide as a matter of conscience, you know what, she kind of gets to me or he kind of gets to me. They keep coming over. They keep coming around. They keep trying to text me stuff. You got to set a guardrail. You got to set a rumble strip. You should talk about it. And I know it's irritating to have that conversation, just like it's irritating to run over a rumble strip. Like, you know, it's like irritating. But listen, they might be annoying, but what they do is they protect you from a worse thing, like falling off a cliff, driving over the edge. It's annoying, but it stops you from the worst thing. Students, you really need to hear me right now. Listen to me. This is so important because the culture around you is telling you, go for it. All the stuff you watch, Netflix, all the sort of teen shows, they're glorifying it constantly. I've seen some of this stuff. I'm like, man, you can't watch this, babe. No, no. I don't care if it's teenager friendly. It ain't teenager. It ain't Christian teenager friendly. 
Like, I'm trying to help you follow Jesus, not go off and do all that. I know I'm old school. I know you are laughing at me right now. You're like, oh, we don't tell our kids what to watch. Oh, you should. I'm just throwing that out there, too. <laughs> I'm just going to presume to tell you what to do, right? Like, but students, listen, it's in your music, it's in your media, your friends are talking about it, and, and, and you got to decide ahead of time, what's going to be my standard? You can't wait until you're rolling around the backseat of a car with the window steamed up. It's too late, man. you got to decide before you get to that part. And, and listen, once you decide what it is, when you go out with somebody, you got to just go ahead and say, hey, just FYI, I don't know what your plans are, but let me tell you how I roll. This is my boundary. And you're like, well, if I tell that, they'll dump me. Let me, let me tell you something about dumping people, people who would dump you for that. Um, like, I know it won't feel this way, but I'm going to tell you the truth. It's better to be alone headed in the right direction than to fall off the cliff with some loser who won't respect your personal boundaries. I'm going to give myself a hand. Ooh, that was good, Danny. Good. I'm messing with you. Second thing, you got to tell somebody. You got to tell them about it. Like, in other words, if you have secrets right now, and they may not be secrets about things that you've done wrong, they're just secrets that you're kind of worried that if they hear about this, they're going to kind of freak out a little bit. That should set off something in your conscience. I'm afraid to say to my wife or my husband or my fiance this thing. That should set, that should be, you should be going right there. When you, when you find yourself not wanting to tell your spouse that you have to go eat with that guy again or that girl again or you have to travel again with this person on, on, on work or that they texted you again and you find yourself like, I don't even want to tell her. I don't even want to tell him again. When you find yourself saying that I should not tell them about something, that should set off the rumble strip in your head and in your heart. Like, like you, you haven't done anything wrong, but what the rumble strip is, is, is telling you is you're about to. This is dangerous. You need to pay attention. You need to be honest with yourself. You need to wake up because this is going to head to bad things. Like in my role as a pastor, I occasionally, almost never now, but back when we first started our church and I was the only pastor here, there, there, there were, we have other pastors here now. We have other pastors who are women. But occasionally over the years, I've had to meet with ladies for various reasons. And so I have rules around that. Number one, for me, it has to be in a very, very public space, which for me means Starbucks, because I'm going to go ahead and have my venti black iced tea unsweetened with three sweet loaves while I'm there. Can I get a witness? <laughs> and then number two, I let my wife know when and where the meeting is going to take place. When I'm done, I tell her, hey, I'm done. I'm moving. On. I'm going back to the office now. Now, she's never once asked me to do that. Never. We've never had an issue around whatsoever in this area. But for me, it's just the wise thing to do. And that's what we're shooting for. We, we, we told you about in Ephesians where Paul says, walk as the wise, not as the unwise. And so the question that we ask ourselves when we're, we're thinking about any of this stuff is, what's the wise thing to do? Not, not is it moral or immoral? Not is it a gray area or a, a, a black and white area? Like, no, those are bad questions. The question is, is it wise in light of my past? In light of the last time I did that? In light of, light, light, light of the last time I went there? In light of the last time I responded to this text? In, in light of my present reality, not, not who I want to be, but in light of my current vulnerabilities, where I'm at right now, is this wise? And then, of course, in light of my future hopes and dreams, in light of the kind of dad I hope to be, in light of the husband, husband I want to be, in light of the kind of boss I want to be, or, or the kind of friend I want to be, or the kind of coworker I want to be, is this wise? That's what we're shooting for, wisdom. Not cultural wisdom, but biblical wisdom. And then thirdly, and I'm almost done here, they're playing so that you'll think I'm almost done. Thank you, by the way. Give it up for Gil, my friend right here. He's awesome. 
Love, Gil. When you feel your heart and your desire drifting towards a specific person that's not your spouse or not your fiance or whomever, you got to tell somebody. And maybe you don't tell your spouse in that moment, but you have to tell somebody. And this is why we keep saying everybody needs a circle. Everybody needs friendships that are deep enough so that you can talk to the people in your life and say, man, this is what I'm thinking of. This is what I'm, I'm feeling pulled over in this direction. Or that they know you so well that they go, hey, bro, listen, I'm telling you, you don't want to go down that road. That's not a good idea right there. Everybody needs a circle. That's why we have small groups and we encourage you even now, three weeks into them, jump in one, get one so you can meet somebody where you can have. And and, and if you don't have a circle, then you find somebody who has a, listen to me, a track record of wisdom. Because oftentimes when we're thinking about doing the wrong thing, you know who we go talk to? The people who would never push back. The people who go, yeah, boy, all men are terrible. And they are. We are. Come on. It's right. They're totally, we're, we're, we're pigs. You don't have me too movements for for men right there's no such thing it's women 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 have this because men are idiots you're welcome men you're welcome just wanted to i want to encourage you today and celebrate you we need somebody though who's wise and and who has discretion it's just the wise thing to do what you're about to do right now and and, and this because because something about speaking it to life diffuses its power sometimes bringing the darkness into the light takes away some of that and and sometimes just that alone will will will, will help in that area and and this has to be it has to include our social media because can i tell you now having been doing this for a long time now that much of the trouble that people get themselves to in this area starts right on their phones happens over and over again you got to have a personal boundary as it relates to that stuff can't keep secrets in this world there's got to be boundaries and guardrails because if you don't have something that warns you an early warning system you cannot protect what you do not first detect right early detection matters last thing Ephesians 5 this is what we preached about the first week this is this whole passage about walking wisely and verse 18 he says do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery which leads to out of control kinds of behaviors particularly as it relates to sexuality he says instead would you say this with me be filled with the spirit that's the fourth point because we can give you all the practical applications and the practical tools and talk to somebody that's all good but that doesn't discount the fact that you have a spiritual enemy who wants to destroy you who wants to break up your marriage who wants to jack up your kids who wants to create baggage in your life the bible says in john 10 that the thief comes to steal kill and destroy but jesus says i've come that you may have life and life abundantly so i got to be filled with god's spirit because listen Sex, like any other thing, is an appetite. And the thing I know about appetites, and you know this as well, is that appetites can never be fully and finally satisfied. They cannot. Like you're going to go eat a big old meal right now, and you're going to be so full and miserable with your carne guisada and big red. And then five hours from now, what are you going to be doing? Hunting around looking for the next thing. This is the same thing. It cannot deliver what it promises. It never will fully and finally satisfy, and you will have to keep climbing up the ladder looking for the next thing, and you will go from person to person and thing to thing and event and activity to activity, and you will never be filled because only Christ can fill what's missing from you and your life. 
And this is why Jesus says, and I'm done, Jesus says in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So I got to be filled with God's presence and with, with, with Christ because God's spirit becomes the ultimate rumble strip in my life. And he gives us the gentle nudge that could save our lives. Last thing. Do you think if today you made a decision around your morality, around your finances, around your um, relationships, whatever the area is, that if you said today, I'm going to create a boundary, I'm going to get with somebody, I'm going to be held accountable to these, I'm going to set these up, these personal standards of behavior. Do you think five years from now, you're going to look back on that decision and go, what, what a waste of my time. How irritating was it when somebody called me out and said, man, what are you doing? Or are you going to say, best decision of my life? Which one do you think that is? Five years from now, as a dad, as a mom, if you set some personal boundaries right now for your kids, do you think you're going to be happy that you did or are you going to be sad that you did? I can tell you the answer. Five years from now, you're going to be thanking God that you made a decision. So you got to decide. you got to decide in this area of morality. Flirt or flee. Flee honors God. Flee honors your relationships. Flee honors your marriage. Flee honors your kids and that maybe you have the chance to raise them up in, 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 this, in this way. Flee honors uh, your future, but it takes rumble strips. It takes personal, it doesn't happen by accident. You will not luck your way through this like this. You must have something to come alongside of you and do what you can't do for yourself. Amen, somebody? Let me pray for you real quick. Lord, thanks so very much, God, for the word of God, for what Paul wrote to us in Ephesians and in 1 Corinthians. Thank you that you, you cared enough about us to talk into this, to speak into this area. So important, Lord. I'm thankful for every student, for every child that's in this room, for every 20-something, for every single person. God, I'm praying that before they walk it out and make bad, bad mistakes, that they would just hear the voice of wisdom that you've given us through your word today. God, that if we're married, that we, would be, we wouldn't be careless around this area, that we would get careful and we'd get cautious and we'd talk to people and we would seek godly counsel and we'd be, we'd be wise so that we can protect and honor and, 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 and create a, a, a marriage that lasts a lifetime. God, I pray blessings and strength and courage to make wise decisions. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with me today. God bless you. God bless you.